I made a video called I ran away with the circus and found out it's racist. And I posted it on my YouTube channel. And I remember <laughs> the moment before I posted that video, I was like, I'm going to get blacklisted. I'm Noelle, and welcome to Meet Me in the Back. This podcast is usually about interviewing people who are rising stars in the creative and entertainment industries that I know, that I'm personally inspired by. But some of these podcast episodes are just going to be me. <laughs> so today, I'm my own special guest. I'm riding solo. I'm buying myself my own flowers, as Miley says. And today we're talking about my very wild career journey. So I was a circus performer. I worked with Cirque du Soleil for a little bit. I was so insane with it that I actually moved to Montreal in negative 40 degree weather at one point in my life. And then I ended up becoming a video editor for YouTubers. And now I'm a content creator for Gary Vee's advertising agency. And I have to take you all the way back first to my time in college. So I was actually a biotechnology major at UC Davis. I was interning in a lab for three years. I basically was genetically modifying bacteria to create biofuels, which is like a sustainable alternative version to gasoline. And I was pretty fucking miserable, to be honest, because bacteria can't really talk to you, you know? So I was really, really lonely and sad. And I was like, well, if this is going to be the rest of my life, I might as well get a hobby. What ended up happening was I was on Instagram, as one does, and I found this aerial yoga class. But what I ended up going to was an aerial silks class. And there's definitely like a distinction in the aerial community between aerial yoga and aerial silks. And I ended up taking this aerial silks class. There were only two of us in this class. And <laughs> I was so terrible. I couldn't climb. I couldn't invert. I literally couldn't do anything at all. The girl who was taking the class alongside me was a dancer, gymnast. She could literally do everything. She could climb. She could invert. She was like super strong. She was super graceful. And at the end of that class, an instructor went to her and was like, oh my gosh, you were meant to do this. Like you are the epitome of grace and beauty. You need to keep doing aerial silks. And then the instructor went to me and she was like, okay, bye. <laughs> and I don't know why I had this weird gut instinct, but I just kind of knew in my heart, I was like, you know, I really, really love that despite being incredibly terrible at it. But I have this gut feeling in my soul that if I work really, really, really hard, I can get good at this and I can become a performer. And that was the first time in my life that I've ever felt I really genuinely should do something creative. Because as a daughter of Filipino immigrants, my parents came to the U.S. with absolutely nothing. They worked super duper duper hard. I am their only child. So it's my mom, my dad, my mama Sherry, she's my aunt, and my Ninong, he's my uncle. And um, they would pool money together um, to send me to private school because I grew up in, in Anaheim. And, uh, and Anaheim is in Orange County. And everyone's like, 
Orange County is super bougie. What are you complaining about? But the neighborhood I grew up in, in Orange County, um, was actually a pretty rough neighborhood. My neighbor's a drug dealer, but he's really, really cool. You know, shout out to my neighbor. Anyways, <laughs> I basically was sort of this golden child and my family expected a lot from me. And especially since I excelled in like math and science, they definitely wanted me to go that route, not any sort of like artistic field whatsoever. So going back to college, <laughs> I end up graduating with a degree in biotechnology. And then I decide, well, I'm going to go into physical therapy because at least with physical therapy, it's sort of a good mix between the sciences, what I studied and circus performing. Maybe I could somehow mix the two together and like help circus performers with their bodies through physical therapy. <laughs> so I had this thought and I was like, okay, well, I'm going to apply to literally one physical therapy school because I legitimately do not want to go to physical therapy school. And hopefully I don't get in. So I, I can buy myself time to become a circus performer and to train to become a circus performer after college. So I'm only applying to one physical therapy school. I'm probably not going to get in. And a few months later, I get into physical therapy school, the one physical therapy school that I applied for and my parents were overjoyed. They're so, so, so happy. And I remember that day so vividly because I went to my mama, Sherry, she gave me this huge hug and I like, my face was buried in her like chest. And I was like, what about my circus performing? Like, what am I going to, what, what about that? And she was like, oh, you know, it's just a hobby. Remember? And I just like, remember that like soul crushing moment where I was like, oh yeah, right. Like it was just, it's, it, it was always supposed to be a hobby. It's just a hobby. Like there, there is no way I can, I can go into this field professionally. Like you're right. I started this in college. Like how can I possibly make this like a profession? And I just remember that like soul crushing moment. And so I end up in physical therapy school. What was so interesting about that experience was I loved my cohort. Everyone was super awesome. Teachers were great. I was learning a lot. But despite the environment being so good, I was completely and absolutely miserable. I'd go home and I would like open my closet door, like literally cry in the inside of my closet. My dog would like come up to me and like snuggle close to me and like be my like little source of, of comfort in my life. I just remember that being like every day I was in physical therapy school. And I remember like even at lunchtime, everyone is so, is so incredibly nice. And I would just like go to my car and cry or in the bathroom and cry and eat my lunch. It was truly like the, just the... The, the saddest sort of depressing moments of, of my life because I knew that I was basically going into a field that I genuinely did not want to be in and that I felt trapped in and that I just wanted to make my parents proud. And I knew that I was going in a completely wrong direction in my life, but like I couldn't let my family down because I love them so much. And because I was grateful for everything that they've um, they've worked for and that they've done for me. So how could I ever be like a rebellious daughter who goes and becomes a circus performer out of like all the artistic endeavors I, I could have ever done? The day of reckoning <laughs> was when I got a test score back. It was like my first test score. And the girl next to me, 
completely bombed it. And she turned toward me and was like, Noelle, I'm going to work so hard. I love this so much. And I'm so passionate about this. I'm, I'm really going to be like great at this one day. I'm going to work so hard. And it reminded me of like my first ever like aerial class and me thinking the exact same thing. Like I'm going to work so hard and I'm going to become a circus performer. And I looked at her, I looked at my test and I knew like deep in my heart, I was like, I need to give this spot to somebody who really, really wants to be here because literally I I'm taking up somebody's dream right now. And the next day was the last day you could drop out or defer from school and get your money back. And the next day I went to the dean's office. He let me in and I told him I'm going to defer from physical therapy school. And the difference between deferring and dropping out is that when you defer, you can come back in a year in in a way that was like sort of like my backup plan. But in actuality, I knew I wasn't coming back. So I'm in the dean's office. I say I'm deferring for a year. And honestly, I'm probably not coming back. And he (laughs) looks at me like I'm absolutely insane. And he's like, are you sure? And I'm like, I've never been more sure about anything in my whole entire life. And I remember walking out that door and just feeling the biggest sigh of relief, like a burden was lifted off of my damn shoulders. <laughs> like every weight in my whole entire body was like gone. I was at peace with myself, at least in that moment, because then I would have to face the fact that now I have to go to my family and tell all of them that your girl dropped out of school. And I know that wasn't going to be a fun conversation. So in that little moment of peace, I was like, okay, I did the right thing. Now is where the real journey begins. And I'm like eating dinner with my family. I like tell them, I'm like, I I have to tell you something kind of like big. They're like, like, are you okay? What's happening? And I was like, I deferred from physical therapy school and they were like, yeah, but you're going back, right? Like deferring means you can come back in like a year or or two, right? You're just like a sabbatical, right? And I was like, I deferred, but I'm not, I'm not going back. I'm going to become a circus performer. And they're like, are you out of your damn mind? Like (laughs) you're going to become a circus performer. Are you kidding me? We did not raise you to become a circus performer. We did not spend all of that money on private school for your ass to go and run off with the circus. Like what the fuck, Noelle? Like what the actual fuck? And I sat there and I was like, I'm so completely miserable. And like, I'm so depressed with my life. Like I can't continue to be trapped in these expectations that you and maybe even myself that I put on myself because I think that like, I I don't know how to explain it, mom and dad, but like, I feel like there's expectations that you put on me and that I put on myself. And like, I can't, I can't stay in this bubble anymore. I have to do what I, I want to do now. And I know like deep in my heart, my gut instinct says like, do this. Like I, like I, I need to, to go and try and be a circus performer. <laughs> my mom <laughs> just stood up from the table, like didn't even say anything to me, walked away. My mom is Sherry. And she's like one of the, like the best women in my life. She's like one of the strongest women in my life. She looked at me and was like, Noelle, you are such a smart girl, but like you really, really fucked up this time. Like, I don't know what you're going to do with your life, to be honest. And I'm honestly like really scared for you. She like walked away. And then like, my Nino's kind of just there. He's just like, well, what the fuck? And he was like gone. And then my dad, he's definitely like, 
the most empathetic person in my life. Um, just like the kindest, like most genuine dude ever. Um, makes friends with everybody, like <laughs> at local coffee shops and like at car washes and everything um, around the neighborhood. And and I remember my dad sitting with me and he's like, you know, I'm really disappointed right now. Like I'm really disappointed in you and I don't know what you're going to do with your life. But I know how miserable you are. I'd rather you be here and defer or drop out from physical therapy school and go chase your dream than not be here any longer. I'll be, I'll be frank, like during that time in my life, when, when you feel like you have no way out, when you feel so trapped in, in, in this, in this um, bubble of expectations, in this like room of expectations and you, you literally can't get out, like there is no door. Um, yeah, like I was, I was suicidal and just, just to be like completely and openly like frank about that. And, and to hear my dad say like, you know, like I knew he was disappointed in me, but for him to say like, I'd rather you be here, like, it's okay, go chase your dream. Like, even though that was layered with disappointment, that was a little tiny, like glimpse of hope, a little opening for me, a little like little, little mouse hole door opening, you know, um, for me to, to kind of like sneak my way through. It's a little bit of like validation in my life that, okay, like maybe it is okay to go for it. And that was the first time I ever felt like, at least from a familial standpoint, um, that I could actually like pursue this fully, even if it was just like a little small grain of, of hope, there was still that little hope there. And that, meant everything to me. And so um, I was really lucky where my parents didn't like fully kick me out of the house. And sort of the trade-off of that is like, if you move out, like monetarily, you have to fend for yourself and everything. But the hard part about staying like with your parents when they're so disappointed with you is the mental like fortitude that you have to gain because every day you're being called to fuck up. And so that was my life for the next two or three years of training to become a circus performer. Because when you start in college with no dance or gymnastics background, you <laughs> you have to make up for lost time and you have to train and, and work hard. And there is really no way around that in order to become a circus performer at the level that I wanted to be, to be like Cirque du Soleil level. There was no getting around that. Like I had to prove that I had the skills to do so. And I had to create an act that would get me there. An act is basically like a little five to eight minute performance. And actually it's not little, like you haul your ass up in the air for five to eight minutes, go on a pull-up bar right now, hold yourself there for five to eight minutes. That is the minimum of what a circus performer does when they're an aerialist. It's, it's not easy. Try holding a handstand for one minute. It's fucking hard. So anyways, I knew that there was going to be like a lot of training involved and I needed to figure figure out how to, to get the career that I wanted while staying in a household where I'm continuously called a disappointment and a lot of like negative things and learning how to stay positive and have hope within this journey when your family doesn't support you. And if you're close with your family and you love your family and you're grateful for all that they've done for you. Like those two to three years in my life were, <laughs> were a lot to say the least. 
And so I'm living in Orange County. I'm driving two hours to LA in the morning. I'm working at a circus school in LA. I was really, really fortunate where a circus school kind of took me under their wing. They're like, girl, you have a lot of potential, but you also have a lot of room to grow. Come work at the front desk for us, like do administrative work and we'll let you train here for free. And we'll put you in like a troop and you can learn how to do ground skills as well. And I'm like, perfect. That's exactly what I needed. So I did that for like two to three years. And so I'm performing with this troop. I'm training with them. I'm gaining a lot of circus skills. I'm training literally six to eight hours per day. I'm going in Monday to Sunday. I'm basically <laughs> sacrificing everything <laughs> to to train and become a circus performer. When you're training to become a circus performer, you're not only being pushed physically, you're also being pushed mentally because when you have solid coaches, they're critiquing your body. They're critiquing how you, how you express yourself in your act. You're constantly under scrutiny. And you have to have a thick skin in order to to honestly make it in in circus or in any entertainment industry um, in general. So I'm training with them for two to three years. And, and during this time, I'm also sending out audition tapes to different companies. And I emailed 100 different companies and literally no one got back to me. And that was the first time I was like, whoa, this is really not going to be easy. In the second year, though, I decided I was going to do um, circus festivals. So I'm sending out stuff to circus festivals and now I'm performing at circus festivals in the country and then getting little side gigs here and there throughout the U.S. and also teaching gigs. And after those three years of initial training, I decide I want to go to Montreal. Basically, Montreal is like the mecca of circus. It's kind of like how actors and dancers move to L.A. to make it or People who want to be in musicals go to Broadway in New York. Um, so Montreal is is where the big three companies are in circus. Um, Cirque du Soleil, Les Edouard, which means the Seven Fingers, and Cirque Eloise. And if you want to make it in circus, that's where you go. So I start developing this scheme of how I'm going to get my ass to Montreal. I start researching the big three companies. I'm like okay, who are the creative directors? And I'm trying to find directors that inspire me. And I come across one woman. Her name's Shayna Carroll. She happens to be the creative director of Les Edouard, one of the founders and creative directors. But then she also was a performer in Cirque du Soleil. And she also directs four different Cirque du Soleil shows as well. And I was like, ooh, I want her career. Like, what's her background? And I realized that she's from San Francisco. She started at the age of 18 as like an intern in a circus troupe there. It was the Pickles Family Circus. Like, that's an old school circus in San Francisco. So she was like an, an apprentice, an intern in the Pickles Family Circus, just like doing sort of like administrative, helping out with shows sort of work. And then she fell in love with Ariel there. So she started training. And what she did was she showed up at ENC, Ecole Nationale de Cirque. That's kind of like the Harvard for circus. Um, basically, if you go to ENC, you will basically 100% get a contract after you graduate. And so she showed up at ENC and they're like, who are you? And she's like, I'm going here. And they're like, no, you're not. Like, you didn't even apply. You're not even like, what? Why are you here? It's like winter and like you're standing outside our door. And she was like, no, I'm I'm going to I'm going to go go to the school. And she showed up every single day for like 
a month until they were finally like, okay, yeah, you can, you can be in the school. So that's how she ended up at ENC. And then she ended up working for Cirque du Soleil and then starting her own company, The Seven Fingers and her career. The storytelling that she does within her shows is just so inspirational. It's very human and her work is unlike anything I've ever seen before. So (laughs) my crazy ass was like, I am going to Facebook message her. And so I write her (laughs) a long ass message about how much she inspires me. And, and I actually did see one of her shows and, and this is legitimate. She like genuinely inspired me and I just genuinely wanted to learn from her. And if there's any way I could meet her, I would love that opportunity. And so I waited for her reply. I vomited, I puked, I screamed, I cried because I didn't know if she was like gonna reply back to me. Like who would reply back? Like, will she ever even see this? Like, I don't know. She's like a very, very busy woman. Like, I don't, like, I have no idea if she's ever going to reply back to me. She replies back the next day and she says, oh my gosh, I would love to meet you if you're ever in Montreal. And I was like, oh my gosh, crazy thing. I'm going to be in Montreal next week. See you then. And then I promptly booked my plane ticket to Montreal because my ass wasn't going to be in Montreal next week, but now it was going to be. So I booked my plane ticket to Montreal for the following week. I get on the plane, go there. We end up having a little meeting on St. Laurent Street. I know I butchered that for any French speakers out there, but you know, I tried. (laughs) And we go to this vegan thrift store restaurant. And while I'm at this lunch with her, I'm trying to figure out how can I get a job with her? (laughs) So she's talking, she's saying that she's not hiring any acrobats or aerialists um, or any performers right now. And I'm like, oh my gosh, my window is closing. Like I, how am I going to like get to Montreal? How am I going to move here? And as she's explaining what's going on with her life, I realized that her life is very, very chaotic. She basically needs someone to sort of manage her life, um, make her life a little bit easier. So I asked her, is there any way I can be your assistant? And I remember her smiling at me and being like, you know what? You have the exact same bold kind of spirit, kind of impulsive, kind of crazy spirit that I did when I was your age. And yeah, I need an assistant. And I was like, cool. Can it be me? (laughs) And she's like, she's like, yeah, yeah, you can be my assistant. And a few weeks later, I end up moving to Montreal to be the assistant of one of my idols, which is really, really wild to say. I moved to Montreal. It's the dead of winter. It's like literally negative 40 degrees outside. And I'm <laughs> I'm in this Airbnb because I don't have an apartment. And <laughs> it's freezing cold. I'm like, I need to turn on the heater. And the heater isn't working. And so I just like layer all the blankets and jackets that I have over me and try to survive the night. (laughs) And that's just like the epitome of the start of my like circus journey in Montreal. It was really, really freaking hard, but it was really, really worth it because within three months, what ended up happening was there was a casting call for Cirque du Soleil. They needed two girls to create on a brand new apparatus and they needed someone who has experience on rope. And luckily for me, I was a rope artist. So basically what that means is 
I, I perform on a 30 foot rope. So it's just like a literal rope hanging down and I go up 30 feet in the air and I do drops and I do like poses and everything. And, and that's what I did for a living. <laughs> and so I apply, send my stuff in and I'm like, People spend their whole lives trying to to get into Cirque du Soleil. There is absolutely no fucking way I'm going to get this. But maybe, maybe there's like a little smidgen, smidgen of chance that I get this. But like at this point, I've faced so many rejections. I was trying not to get my hopes up. But there's always that little bit of teensy bit of hope in there. So I, I send my stuff up with a very minimal amount of hope, right? I get an email like a week later. And it says, thank you for submitting your application. And in my head, I'm like, oh my gosh, I didn't get it. I didn't get it. We are pleased to let you know that you are chosen. And I was like, what? I am chosen for once in my life. I have made it. I'm going to work in Cirque du Soleil. Like I have never been chosen in my whole entire life. I'm very, very confused right now. What is happening to me? And and so I keep reading this email and, and basically it said that, yeah, I'm one of the two girls that We'll be working on this brand new apparatus with Cirque du Soleil, creating a show for a cruise ship, basically. And I was like, what? <laughs> I remember getting that email and like crying. And I called my old circus mentor in LA and I called uh, everybody I knew. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is happening. I'm, I'm going to be like working for Cirque du Soleil for a little bit. And at this point in my life, I'd faced like a lot of rejections um, in circus. And so... Something that often happens when you're in the creative industry, especially like in entertainment, is that at any moment, a, a contract can slip from your fingers. Like un until you sign that contract, you could be out of an opportunity, out of a job. So um, I was really excited about it. I cried and let people know and everything. But I always had the caveat of saying like, but until I sign that contract, I don't know if this is going to happen. And so... Um, a week later, I'm waiting for this contract and I finally get the contract and I sign it. And I'm like, oh shit, it's happening. I'm working for Cirque du Soleil. This literally makes no sense, but I'm working for Cirque du Soleil. What is my life? And so um, within three months of moving to Montreal, I ended up working for Cirque du Soleil. So on the first day of my, my little stint with Cirque du Soleil, I remember this very vividly. It was winter, as it always is in Montreal, because nine months out of the year is snow and frigid cold. And I remember rolling my rope bag with me in this suitcase um, through the snow, standing in front of Cirque du Soleil, which is basically the size of like 10 to 15 Costco's, but with 100 foot ceilings. And I'm looking at their headquarters and I'm like, how did I end up here? This is a very scary moment in my life. I definitely have imposter syndrome because people spend their whole entire lives working for this moment. And I've spent four years of my life. And like, I just felt like, like, did I actually deserve this? Like, why, why am I here? But then I told myself, I'm like, Noelle, as much as you're afraid of this opportunity, as much as you're scared that you're going to fail, like there's a reason this contract is for you. Just, just go and do it. And so... <laughs> My little 411 self with my rope bag, my little beanie on and my like little puppy coat <laughs> walks through the doors of Cirque du Soleil. Um, I meet the receptionist and she's like, oh, you're one of the two girls um, for for the cruise ship, right? And I was like, yeah. And she's like, okay, just a moment. They'll be with you. And I remember meeting the other girl with me. She's she's a fantastic, like wonderful She's a contortionist, so literally flexible human being. <laughs> and um, and I remember both of us 
like chit-chatting a little bit. And then um, the director comes and he's like, oh, I'm the director, follow me. And we, <laughs> and we follow him into this room and there's literally 20 people in it and like a big giant camera and an, an apparatus in the middle of it that like we both have never seen before because we're creating on a brand new apparatus for this cruise ship. And neither of us have worked for Cirque du Soleil before or, or experienced anything like, like this. So we're in this room, there's 20 people around us. They're all coming up to us, shaking our hands, introducing themselves. But I literally don't remember who any of those people were, to be honest. Well, I remember some people, but like in that moment, it's, it's so frenzied. It's so chaotic. And, and you're so nervous because you're literally in the company that's considered the creme de la creme. And you'd have no idea why the fuck you're there because you definitely have imposter syndrome at this point. And you're just trying to keep a smile on your face while all of this is going on. And you're hoping that you're going to do a good job because you really want to get hired by them again in the future. And you're scared that like, if this day goes bad, they're going to fire you. So it was a very, very overwhelming experience <laughs> in my life. And I didn't know this. One of my aerial idols was actually the creator of the apparatus and her name's Ginger. And she comes up to me and she's like, hi, I'm Ginger. And I'm like, oh my fucking God, it's Ginger. She was the aerial silks artist in Messier. She's, she's a legend basically. And she's like, yeah, this is like my apparatus. And I'm like, holy shit. Where, and now I'm really nervous, right? So I meet Ginger and she's like, I know how overwhelming this must be for the two of you. I've definitely been in this position, but you know, just breathe and it'll all be good. And I was like, okay. And, and so she made us feel like a little bit better in this very chaotic, frenzied um, situation where like everybody's watching you. And then we had to go run some like physical tests and everything to make sure we're all good. And then we get back into the room and this apparatus that we've never been on is there. There's 20 people in the room and, and Ginger says, just play. And I'm like, what? That's the direction, just play. And so like, luckily your girl can improv her ass off. So I was like improving on the rope and everything. But like when, when you don't have any confines on what you can do on an apparatus or in an act or, or whatever sort of like creative endeavor you're doing, there is so much like opportunity that it can get overwhelming. So you kind of have to create those like little sandbox restraints for yourself, if that makes sense, in order to improv and make something productive. At least that's sort of like my advice that I would give to anyone who's in this situation where someone is just like, just play and make something up. That's my advice to you. And then she's like, okay, like there's like an orbiting spinning sort of component to it. And keep in mind, I'm a rope artist. So like basically I swing around, but I don't really practice spinning very often. And so for three or four hours, I'm literally spinning on this apparatus. And it's not just like little light spins. It's like really, really fast spins that like you feel some little G forces on you. And by the end, I was nauseous. Afterwards, I'm like, I can't wait to go home and literally throw up right now because I, I am so nauseous. But then the director was like, oh, let me take you a tour around this whole fucking building. Well, they didn't say fuck, but like right now I'm saying fuck. I was like, okay. And so we're going through this building up and down the stairs of Cirque du Soleil. And I'm literally about to throw up on the staircase, down the hallway, in the costume department. Like I was literally gonna throw up everywhere, but I held it in. And then the tour was over and I was like, great, bye everybody. But before I could actually say bye to everybody, my friend, my new friend was like, oh, do you wanna eat lunch? The last thing I wanted to do was eat lunch. But um, 
I like when, when, when I make new friends. So I was like, okay, I'll eat lunch with you. And so we go to the cafeteria, we get our lunch and I'm literally, I can't eat because I'm so extremely nauseous. And I'm literally just like, <laughs> I'm literally just cutting my food and moving it around because I'm like, I can't look at this food right now. I'm just going to like move it around. So it kind of looks like I'm eating, but I'm actually not eating. I'm just moving around my food because I'm so extremely nauseous. The room is spinning. I'm dizzy. Like I'm literally going to throw up on this plate right now in front of all of these people from Cirque du Soleil. And I feel like that's going to make a really, really bad impression. So like, I need a way out somehow. And, and then I have this brilliant idea. I'm like, oh my gosh, wait, is my bus coming? And I like, look at the clock and my bus isn't coming, but I'm going to say my bus is coming. So I was like, oh, I have to go. My bus is coming. And she's like, oh, no worries. I'll see you later. And I'm sure she would have been really nice if I just like told her before, like, I can't have lunch with you, but I'm in, I'm a recovering people pleaser, if this makes sense. And I was definitely in my people pleasing phase at this moment in my life. And so like, I, I, I needed to find a way out. And so I'm like, okay, bye. I'm I, bye. My bus is coming. And so I leave. All right. And I head straight to the bathroom and I look around. This is my first answer. Just lay. No one's there. And I go to the restroom and I just vomit my whole being out. <laughs> And that was my first day at working at Cirque du Soleil. It was a very iconic day. It was a very, it was a very stressful day. It was, it was, it was, uh, it was definitely one for the books. We ended up creating an act that went on a cruise ship for Cirque du Soleil. I ended up performing around the Quebec region as well. And one of the most notable experiences that I've had and something that like genuinely changed my life was this performance I did at Tohu. Basically, Tohu is like where um, sort of like the rising stars in circus and also like legends in circus like go and perform. It's it's this like roundhouse sort of stage. And and so many people that I've admired have have been up on that stage. They were picking five people um, to showcase their acts on this like stage. And so I had developed this act and I was like, okay, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm just going to try, I'm going to try to get on the stage. And I put it in and I was one of the five people that was able to get on the stage. And this act meant the world to me because during my circus journey, um, I never really saw anyone who looked like me. Um, I'll be very, very frank. When you're in, in auditions in cattle calls, you're constantly scrutinized by how you look whether it's um, your body measurements or even like the color of your skin. Um, there was an instance in my circus career where, where the color of my skin <laughs> was too, too dark to fit an ensemble, which literally makes no sense. Um, but, but things like that happen. And up until this point, a lot of this, this sort of like discriminatory practices have been normalized in circus. Um, and I feel like obviously in other like entertainment industries as well. Um, but in circus, it's a very hush hush topic to talk about any sort of discrimination because circus is sort of seen as this utopia of where, where misfits, where misfits go. Like, everyone is accepted. Everybody is welcomed. Like you go to the circus to escape from the rest of the world. And for the most part, yeah, like being in the circus is a bit of like a utopia, but like, it's still a microcosm of 
the society that we live in. And unfortunately, discriminatory practices do like come into play and that it is what it is. But I was tired of it being what it is. I wanted change in this industry. And so um, when I created my act for this show, it was really about sort of my, my, my journey. It was like, can I actually make it? Um, because, you know, like I've disappointed my family and, and being in the circus and sort of going through these like auditions and not being hired because like my hips are too big or like my butt's too big, A, <laughs> or, or for the color of my skin or, or I'm just like not the right look and it, and it's not really about skill and sort of all the other sort of like imposter syndrome things that happen when you're in this creative industry and you don't know if you're going to make it. And, and so that's what my act was, was based off of. And I even spoke a little French in it. Um, <laughs> and so I, I performed this act and it was really amazing to see people resonate with it for other circus performers to, to say, Hey, like you had like an opening monologue in it, but like the rest of it was, was just your movement. And even without you saying a word, I felt exactly the story you were telling through your body. <laughs> and, and I, and I resonate with that and, and I've felt similar sort of situations in my life as well. So for me, that performance was, was everything that, that is honestly like Cirque du Soleil was a highlight of my career. That performance for me was like, like the heart of my career. It was like the heart and highlight of my career. Like the reason why I, I felt so passionate about like going through all of this, like work and hardship, moving to a different fucking country, um, to become a circus performer. Like the reason why I did all of that is because whenever I would go to circus shows, and look up on stage. I didn't see anybody that looked like me. And I was like, damn it. If I feel like I can't become a circus performer because, because I don't have someone to look up to, um, because I don't see anyone that looks like me on stage. I wonder how like other people of color, other people who, who are from underrepresented communities feel for me, like that's, that was my driving force in circus. It's like, I want to prove that you can start late in circus or in anything that you set your mind to, and you can look completely different. You can be a misfit amongst the misfits and still end up on stage. And especially in performance, I believe that whoever is on stage should reflect the audience that you are performing to, because the whole beauty about performance is is being able to resonate with someone on that stage. And if you don't see someone who looks like you on that stage or someone that comes from your similar background on that stage, just inherently you think that you can't be on that stage or you can't do that thing that you want to do. And for me, I was like, no, nah, I'm changing this shit. I'm like going to get my ass up on that stage so that a little Filipino girl out there who looks like me, who has the same body type as me, who has the same skin color as me, who has the same background as me, who didn't come from like a dance or gymnastics background or whatever, like she knows or he or they know <laughs> that they can, they can get up on that stage too. And they can do whatever the fuck they set their mind to. And that's just something that I've always believed in throughout my whole entire life. So all of this good stuff is happening in my circus career, right? And then the pandemic happens, shuts down the whole fucking industry. And all of us are like, oh shit, what do we do now? Because we, as in the circus community, we're, we're constantly like 
communing together, intermingling together. And in Montreal, what happened was we had a curfew. And I'm not lying about this at 8 p.m. And if you step foot outside your door after 8 p.m. and the police caught you, you were fined a thousand dollars. And at first I was like, nah, like that's too like that's too 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 rigid or a restriction. But not like people's asses got fined a thousand dollars. Like if they stepped out of their door, and that was for a year and a half. Things were hard in Montreal, and and studios were closed for long ass periods of time. I feel like it was eight months before I got back into a studio in Montreal. It was a difficult time for for performers, um, anyone in entertainment who who does live performances in general. Like it was it was very difficult, and so there was this giant move from live performances to to going virtual. And I had the idea of, you know, right now my community is in shambles. Like I love the circus community. I've loved all the people that I've met. And I was like, you know what? Let me start like a YouTube channel to 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 talk about circus because it's what I love. And right now I can't do it. And and maybe there there can be like a little community bonding experience through the internet. And so I started this YouTube channel. It was like gaining traction. People really loved this content I was creating, which was exciting. And then in June of 2020, the Black Lives Matter movement was really, um, I believe, like at its at its peak, it, it was getting a lot of like notice. And I personally believe in that. I believe that nobody should be discriminated against. And I just, and I was very, very, passionate about changing my industry, especially at this time, especially at a moment where we're all finally taking a pause um, in circus. Everything runs so quickly that like a lot of sort of like discriminatory sort of like other sort of malpractices get swept under the rug because no one takes the time to really think about like what is happening in, in their industry and, and taking the time to actually like create change or speak up. Um, and so during this this moment, I was like, you know what? Behind closed doors, so many of like my black and brown friends have have been discussing the discriminatory like practices that are happening and how we've felt um, tokenized, or if there's been microaggressions, and just sharing within our own safe spaces like what's been happening without like telling the larger community about it because we're all so afraid that we're going to get blacklisted, that we're not going to get jobs and performing and teaching are our incomes. There are stability. And if we, and circus is a small world too. So like if you lose a connection with someone, you make a bad connection, you lose all of your contacts, basically. Like word will spread around that you're like a bad egg. Like no one wants to work with you. You are seen as someone that can't be hired. So no one has really like spoke up about any sort of like discriminatory practices in circus, especially about like racism. I made a video called, I ran away with the circus and found out it's racist. And I posted it on my YouTube channel. And I remember <laughs> the moment I, <laughs> the moment before I posted that video and I was like, I'm gonna get blacklisted. Like, I'm not gonna have a career after this. I, I, <laughs> I disappointed my parents. I, I moved to Montreal. I did all of this, like literally, like for nothing if I get blacklisted, like, and I'm probably gonna get blacklisted because no one wants to hire like an angry Asian girl, like speaking out about racism on the internet. Like who's gonna hire me now, like after this? And, and then like the moment after that, like just instantly I was like, fuck it. 
if this makes one person feel understood and seen and heard, then it's worth it. And that moment I kind of knew, I was like, my career can go to shambles if, if somebody feels like, feels a little bit more empowered in this, in this world. If they see this video and they feel like, huh, yeah, that's happened to me. Like I resonate with that. I have a similar experience as that I've faced racism in circus. I've faced racism in like the entertainment industry or, or whatever it is. Like if, 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 an, if one person understood what I was saying and they felt, they felt a sense of community, that's what I was, I was going for with this video. And so I posted it and I was like, fuck it. I'm losing my career. And even though I do care, I'm not going to pretend I don't like, even though I'm probably going to lose my career, at least, at least someone will feel like someone's on their side. And so I released that video. It's starting to get like a lot of views, a lot of like traction right away. And I'm like, oh my gosh, what is happening? And I, I, I knew people would see it, but I didn't know a lot of people would see it. And so what ended up happening is that video ended up circulating around the world. I was getting um, DMs from like Switzerland and from like Australia. It was just this sort of wild explosion of everyone talking about, about racism and people actually agreeing with me and saying, finally, someone said it. Finally, someone said what we've all been thinking, but <laughs> but no one has ever said before. And basically, I started this sort of worldwide discussion about racism in circus. Um, I ended up on panel talks. I ended up being able to talk with, with directors in these big companies that I aspire to be in about sort of <laughs> their own practices and, and how they can create spaces that are are better for for brown and black people for underrepresented communities and so I was I was with these leaders but not only that like I'm a young one like I'm I've got that young energy you know I'm, I'm a young one in this industry I started to be able to talk with brown and black leaders in this industry who have been there for 15 20 years and who have had a lot of like pent up like stories about discrimination that I honestly like couldn't believe and that they've held in for so long. And, and I've been a part of this community for so long and I've held their stories in and, and it was cool to be able to, to walk alongside them and bring them into these like talks with directors and, and into these rooms and these discussions and say, Hey, like, these are my experiences as like a young one, but like, yo, listen to these people who have been in the industry for 15 to 20 years. They know way more than me. And they've obviously like proved, proved their skill set, proved their worth in this industry. And like, this, this is what they went through to be able to sort of like be the, 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 the mediator, the facilitator to, to hear their stories and for, for them to, to finally speak up about their experiences in this industry and, and know that they're, they're safe. That was like everything to me. It's 2023. This all happened in 2020. It's been incredible to see, um, circus companies shift and become more inclusive and, and, and actually think about who they hire and who they put up on their stages that their audience can resonate with. And so during the pandemic, um, as I'm creating content for myself, as I'm, I'm, I'm finding my voice <laughs> in this, in this industry, 
I also started video editing for YouTubers. I ended up video editing for a YouTube strategist who had the back end of like over a hundred channels. And basically I've edited hundreds of videos about YouTube strategy and how she reads the analytics behind like the hundreds of channels that she's managed um, that have grown from like zero to like a million followers. And so while I'm editing, video editing, I'm actually learning about how social media creation works and the strategy behind it and sort of the backend and analytics of everything and sort of the metrics to look for when you're trying to grow a YouTube channel. And I'm realizing as I'm video editing and as I'm creating content for myself, I start realizing that my love for circus performing is 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 dwindling and that I think I want to make a pivot. And that was such a difficult decision to make because I was in circus for eight years and my self-worth, my self-confidence, who I am as a person was all tied into circus. Any bravery that I had was tied into, into circus and to stray away from performing and, and teaching in circus and, and go into a new path was incredibly scary and, and difficult, especially since I had made such a big deal of like, I'm going to be a circus performer and to make a pivot is a terrifying decision. But at this point in my life, I had another gut feeling. I was like, I think I did what I came to do in circus. I made some waves in this industry, positive waves. I got to work for Cirque du Soleil. I, I performed an act that meant so much to me and that really resonated with people. And I feel like I can close my performance, my circus performing chapter in my life. And I'd be good because right now I have a gut feeling like I want to go into the social media world and create content and, and be a video editor right now. And I also wanted to figure out who I am without circus because all of me was tied into circus and have self-worth and self-confidence without it being tied to my circus career. And so I decided to just video edit for YouTubers. And while doing so, I ended up working for um, Full Send, if you've ever heard of them. Um, if you've ever heard of like the Nelk Boys, um, I worked for them, basically. And um, shout out to Jesse Sebastiani. He was my boss. I edited his like prank channel. Now, now his YouTube channel is called Sunday. Um, so shout out to Sunday. But uh, I was basically the only female editor with three other guys. And we were um, stuck in a little room together. And, and in that company, there were basically like 20-ish guys and only two girls. And I remember <laughs> um, the very first day um, I came in, they're like, to be frank, we had to have a talk with everybody um, to, to not leave the door open when they're peeing because now we finally have like a girl. So like just letting you know. And I'm like, great, this is going to be an, a wonderful work environment. And it actually was a wonderful work environment. I learned a lot. I ended up meeting with uh, Mr. Beast strategist and stay tuned for like another episode on maybe that and like what I've learned in the social media world because his advice for creating content is is wild. So I ended up being on this phone call with Mr. B strategist. I learned a lot as a video editor, but I realized I missed 
creating my own content. So <laughs> in the middle of, of this job with, with Full Send, I was like, you know, I need to apply for a content creation job because I, I miss creating content. I miss filming. I miss the pre-production process. I, I don't want to ju- just do post. So I ended up applying um, for this company called VaynerMedia. I had no idea what it was. Um, and then I realized, oh, it's, it's, it's somebody named like Gary V. And, and I, <laughs> and then I realized, oh, Gary V is actually, uh, one of the guys that, um, when I was, when I was becoming a circus performer, I would watch all of these like podcasts and like YouTube videos about like being able to change your, your path and like, uh, taking high risks in your twenties and whatnot. Um, one of Gary V's videos was one of the videos I watched when I made the decision to become a circus performer. So shout out to Gary V for inspiring me, even though I didn't know who you were at the time. So anyways, <laughs> I apply for this, um, content creation job at VaynerMedia and what ends up happening is on May 17th. And the date is important. On May 17th, everyone at the company I was video editing for gets basically laid off. And what was so crazy is the morning of May 17th, I had just got an offer as a content creator at Gary Vee's um, advertising agency. So literally the day I got laid off was the day that I got an offer from Gary Vee's advertising agency. And then the next day, May 18th is my birthday. And the next day on May 18th, on my birthday, I, I signed with Gary V and became a content creator for his advertising agency. That's how I ended up becoming a content creator. And that is currently what I'm doing right now. I currently am working with some really large, like Fortune 500 brands. I ended up working with like Cheetos and I went to Megan the Stallion's Halloween party. That was wild. That's another story for another day, actually. Anyways, I was at Megan the Stallion's Halloween party, like filming content for Cheetos and um, and I'm on TikTok's TikTok. I create content for them. And it's just been a really, really incredible journey so far. I feel so lucky to be able to share it with you on this podcast. And now I'm a podcast host. And what I'm hoping is that through every episode, whether it's an interview or, or sort of these like solo podcast episodes, um, I'm hoping that um, if you are a creative out there and you feel so lost um, in this world and you don't know where you're going um, and you don't know what to do, like you can take every single episode and take little bits of it and use it as a blueprint for your own life. And um, I'm really hoping that I can build a community on here of people who will lift each other up. And I'm always here to talk, slide into my DMs. I don't bite. I'm really cute. I'm really sweet, kind of charming. And <laughs> and I guess I'm going to wrap this up. So thanks for being here with me today on this glorious day. Okay, have a good day. Bye. <laughs>